share my screen with you as I go through the slides for this presentation, this lecture. This uh, lecture, we broke it up into three parts. Uh, this is part one and then part two and part three to follow. If you are listening to it and you want the slides, you can find them in the Google Drive folder that we have given access to the FORGE program participants in. Uh, if you are not, if you're listening to this and um, you have not listened to the previous week's lecture, this lecture is really only is going to be as helpful in as much as you follow along. So if you, if you haven't listened or watched to all the lectures, if you've missed one, that's okay. There's no guilt or shame. But what you'll need to do is you'll need to go back and you'll need to listen or watch those lectures and catch up because this is going to be highly reliant on things we've already discussed or talked about. Um, just a couple of announcements and I'll give these in the beginning of each one of these so that you don't miss it. Um, but uh, today, this week, we're starting Drama of Scripture, which is the other book. So you should have finished Delighting in the Trinity and now you are starting Drama of Scripture. And the goal is for you to be all the way through about midway that book by the time the end of the semester comes, by the time Christmas comes. And so just know that if you're wondering what should I be reading outside of the Bible passages that you should be reading, uh, and there's a lot, and they're about to get they're, there's about to get a lot of them all together. Okay, you should be reading through the drama of scripture. This is also the week where you should begin your doctrinal statements. Your syllabus will detail what these doctrinal statements will be, and uh, but you should start in on those, particularly the one on Trinity. I would begin that soon. So we're going to jump into the lecture. So let me uh, share my screen with you so that you can see the slides. All right. Well, our main point for the lecture, uh, for the, the lecture on the covenant with Abraham is this. The covenant with Abraham inaugurates God's unfolding work to reestablish his kingdom on earth. That's the main idea here. That's what I need you to get, is that the covenant with Abraham inaugurates God's unfolding work to reestablish his kingdom on earth. Now, listen, when we arrive at Abraham, this is in Genesis chapter 12. So uh, I would open up your Bible or I would hopefully you've read these passages. So they were required reading. When we arrive at Abraham, we find ourselves at the foot of Babel. And this is a tower that has been abandoned and a people that have been scattered. You see, when God created the world, it was Hebrew tohu vavohu, right? Formless and void. Okay, right. When God created the world, that's the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Without form and void, tohu vavohu, it's chaos, right? It's darkness, it's scattered, there's no order, and there's no orchestration to it. Well, just before the call and covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 and following, you find yourself at Genesis 11, which is the Tower of Babel. And here at the foot of Babel, we find that now the people are tohu vavohu. They are formless and void. They are scattered and confused. And from these scattered people, God calls Abraham out of Ur. Now, I know that Abram was his name and then it was changed to Abraham, but just so I don't have to make all those distinctions the whole time, I'm going to call him Abraham the whole time. See, Abraham's call uh, is the clear voice of God, and it's standing in stark contrast with the confused voice of Babel. Right. So at the end of Genesis 11, you have the people scattered and confused from the Lord. From there, the Lord confused their language of all the earth and the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Then you have the descendants 
of Shem and Terah. And in Genesis 12, 1, how does it begin? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 4, so Abraham went. You see, Genesis 12 is in stark contrast with the end of Genesis 11. Genesis 11, uh, a very dissonant, confused, scattered voice. Genesis 12, the clear voice of God to Abraham calling him to go. And this call to go is significant because there is a, there's a device that's being used in the story of Abraham, and it's a device called an inclusio, okay? An inclusio. You might also call it an envelope. It's a frame. In Genesis 12, 1, you have the Lord telling Abraham, go from your country to the land that I will show you. And kind of at the back end of the Abraham story, so the other side of the frame, you have Genesis 22, 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I should tell you. So you have these two calls to go that really are framing the whole story of Abraham. The call to go to the land that I will show you in Genesis 12, and the call to go to the land of Moriah, where Isaac would be offered as a burnt offering. See, these two passages, they frame or shape the whole dramatic action on display as Abraham wanders through the land that God would give him. And I want you to just see this real quick. Those are the two go commands. This is the route or the possible route of Abraham. Okay, so you have down here, um, you have Ur of the Chaldeans, okay? So this is where his journey begins. And you can see that he is going to make his way along the, Mes uh, the, the Euphrates River into the Mesopotamian Basin, all the way around to the Mediterranean Sea. And you're going to see that there's a little bit of back and forth here. And this, this is the land. This is the promised land. Okay, that's what you're seeing right here. And Abraham really wonders in his journey, beginning to end, end kind of north, south, east to west, the whole land that God promised to give to him and that would eventually be given to the people of Israel, if only but for a moment. And when we get to the story of Abraham, it's important. Because this covenant with Abraham is really the, um, I, you might say it's the, the most explicit unfolding of God's covenant with his people. That he is going to uh, bring his presence to dwell among his people in a place that he would give them so they could reflect his purposes to the world. And in Abraham, we see that by way of God's covenant love, Abraham and his people and his descendants are chosen to be marked by God's presence, to live as God's people, to inhabit God's place, and to reflect God's purposes. Uh, now, Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam uh, have said the biblical covenants, con uh, covenants constitute the framework and backbone for the entire storyline of Scripture. Now, that's an incredible thing to say, right? Essentially, what they're telling you is that the covenants are crucial for us in understanding the story of Scripture. So tonight, we're going to begin to kind of try to define covenant, okay? That's what we're going to do, and we're going to do it through the story of Abraham. So again, the main point here tonight is this. The covenant with Abraham inaugurates God's unfolding work to reestablish his kingdom on earth. Another way that I might say this to drive it home for you 
the Christian, your past, present, and future is woven into God's covenant, which is inaugurated in Abraham. The past, present, and future of every Christian is woven into God's covenant, which is inaugurated at least explicitly in Abraham. You might say that in many ways, I'm trying to convince you of the Sunday school rhyme, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. You know the rest. So let's just praise the Lord. So let's talk about the call of Abraham. So Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and Abraham took Sarah, his wife. Okay, so let's pause here. Let's kind of break this down because this is the first call of Abraham. You see that in this call, it's further elaborated on in verse seven of chapter 12 when it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, it is going to be crucial for us to understand one thing right out of the gate. We've talked about how one of the hindrances to us being able to read Scripture with clarity is the imaginative gap that exists between us and the Bible. And probably that is felt in some very pronounced ways in the Old Testament, but one of the key ways that it's felt is in the value of land, okay? Now, we are a mobile generation with incredibly uh, incredible abilities to put distance between us and the land that we grew up on. Land typically only now has an economic value. But in this age, land was of immense value on every conceivable plane. In every sphere, land mattered. So the promise of the land is the promise of preservation. It's the promise of purpose. It's the promise that um, of protection. It's the promise of provision. That's what God is promising Abraham here. And he's not just promising him a place. He's promising him a people. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. See, God is essentially telling Abraham, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be with the people who come from you, and I'm going to bring those people to a place, and your purpose in that place is going to be to shine forth my character and the light and greatness of Yahweh to, to the world. Now, the call of Abraham is going to set forth the promises that the covenant, which we'll see in Genesis 15 in the next lecture, that the covenant is going to bind, okay? So let's look at the five components to Abraham's call, because all of these are going to be sealed by God in the covenant that he cuts with Abraham in Genesis 15. Let's start with the first one. Abraham is called out of Ur. You see, Abram is paradigmatic for all of God's people. See, God's people are simultaneously a people who are called out and brought in. I mean, God tells Abraham and he tells us, you won't dwell where you have been. You're not going to remain in the place that you were born into. So he calls Abraham out of Ur. He is removing him from the place that he has been in, and he is bringing him into the land that he intends to give to him, a land, a place that will be marked not just by the physical land, but by the very presence of Yahweh. See, God is telling Abraham, you're leaving Ur, but I'm going with you, and we're going together to the land. You see, Abraham isn't removed. He's replanted. 
And he, God tells him, you're going to make your home in the land that I will give you. So Abraham is called out of Ur. That's the first component. The second component is he's called to the land. He's called to Canaan. He's called to a land that does not belong to him, but does belong to God. And God is saying, I'm going to give this place to you. Why? So that your people might grow in my presence there and you might shine the light of Yahweh out to the world. He tells them, you're going to be a great nation. That's the third component. He tells Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. With this new dwelling will come a distinct dominion that Abraham and his people will have, a distinct purpose. And what is this purpose? Well, what does he say? You're going to be a blessing. That's what he tells them. I'm calling you to be a great nation. Why? So that you will bless, so that you will be a blessing. Verse two, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. You see, the fourth component to Abraham's call is that he is going to be a great nation, but he's going to be a great nation in order to bless. His people are going to be great because God is giving them a distinct purpose, and that purpose is to shine forth the character and the light of Yahweh to the world. And then the fifth component is this, blessings and curses come with this purpose. Abraham and his descendants are blessed to be a blessing to the world. But there are consequences and curses. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So these five components are incredibly crucial because when we get to the covenant in Genesis 15, they're going to all be uh, kind of restated, and then they're going to be bound, and then they're going to be sealed, but not by who you think would seal them in a covenant. You see, the promises of Genesis 12, the blessings promised to Abraham are, as, uh, as some have said, let me see if I've got this quote on here. Yeah, Gordon Wynnum. He says, the call of Abraham is the answer to the problems of the world. He, he says elsewhere, God's solution to the problems painted so graphically in Genesis 3 through 11 is the call of Abraham. Now, have you considered the call of Abraham being absolutely crucial for not just redemptive history, but for your redemption, right? I mean, most of us have it. I mean, we think of Abraham as a major figure back in Bible times, quote unquote, but the reality is he's not just a major figure in the history of redemption. He is a major figure in our redemption, in our story. And I think that it's important to pause here because what is happening? What, is, what does this mean that um, God is solving the problems of the world with the call of Abraham? Well, if you go back to Genesis 3 and you look at the curses in Genesis 3, you're going to notice that on, in Genesis 3, specifically Genesis 3.15, that we have what is called the proto-euangelion, okay? First gospel. Proto, first, euangelion, gospel. Genesis 3.15 is considered to be the first gospel because in Genesis 3.15, we hear that there is one, a seed, who will come from the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent will bruise his heel. And this promise in Genesis 3.15 is giving us a motif, a theme to trace, which is this, the chosen offspring who will crush the head of the serpent that there is a chosen offspring coming through God's chosen line that one day will emerge as the seed of the woman who will make right what sin has made wrong. So when God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you children, I'm going to make your name great, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, 
Abraham may not see the full picture, but he knows enough to know that through this chosen offspring, the world is going to be made right. And that is true. So we have that. We have the promise of offspring. We have the promise of land. We have the promise of, of God's uh, presence and uh, his place. But we also see something that comes in really incredible relief when we pan out and remember what just happened before this. You see, Babel was judged because of their motivation for building the tower, right? I mean, in Genesis 11, the whole story of Babel is this. It says in verse, so let's see, verse 4 of Genesis 11, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And then listen, and let us make a name for ourselves. Now, the motivation of the people at Babel was the same motivation of Adam and Eve in the garden to not merely begin to live under the rule and reign of God, but let's get up to the heavens so that we can reign and rule as God. We don't want to celebrate his great name. We want to seize a great name for ourselves. Now, go back to Genesis 12. And what does God tell Abraham? Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and what? And make your name great. Now, hold on. Because what we see at Babel is the wrongful seizure of presence, purpose, place, and people, but God promises to, a to give Abraham what Babel could have never seized by their own power. Michael Goheen says it this way, the trophies that the people of Babel attempted to take for themselves, fame, security, and a heritage to the future are God's free gift to Abraham. You see what Babel could have never seized by might, by power, God gives to Abraham by grace. And isn't that a picture of our salvation? That our problem, sin, death, the law, that we could never defeat that by power, but God brings us rescue and salvation by grace. You see, so what do Abraham's call and the promises of God have to do with us, right? If, if, as Gordon Wyndham has said, the call of Abraham is the answer to the problems of the world, how does, what does that mean for us? How do we read the promises? Do we read them like the prosperity gospel folks? Because there's a whole community that will tell you, listen, the way to read the promises of Abraham is very literally, meaning that like God prayed and promised Abraham and his offspring that they would have the land. So I'm going to claim that promise. God, you owe me a house. That's absolutely not how we read the promises of Abraham. It's not how we find our story in the story of scripture and specifically the story of Abraham. But here are three ways that you can do that. Our past, present, and future is wrapped up into the call of Abraham because our past goes further back than our birth. Your past goes further back than your birth. You may be 25, you may be 32, but your story started in the garden with Adam. The promises of God are, dis are displayed in Abraham's call, and they're sealed in God's covenant with Abraham. And they're the answer to the problem of our past because they're the answer to the problem of Abraham's past. See, you and Abraham are, are similar in that you were both born broken from the start, born into a world broken by sin, exiled from the presence of God, without purpose, um, not, not among God's people, displaced from where he is. That's the same problem that Abraham has. And the call of Abraham is a picture and a reminder that our past, it goes further back than our birth. Our past goes all the way back to the garden as did Abraham's past. 
And his call is an answer to that problem, addressing the effects of sin, namely in the way that sin prevents us from entering into the presence of God. So that's the first one. The second one is that like Abraham, your present is not totally different. You are a believer called out of a foreign country to dwell with God. So when we think about our past, we can see it connecting with the story of Abraham, but also our present. We, like Abraham, are called out of a foreign country to dwell with God. We are called out of God, out of absence from God and his blessed presence into dwelling with God in his blessed presence. You see, God has called you to wander the world as a sojourner and stranger, like Abraham, a world that belongs to him by right and belongs to his people by adoption and election. You see, like Abraham, we are strangers and sojourners. We are foreigners in this place, and God is bringing us in this holy tension, this present that we live in. God has called us from where we were born. He's called us out of sin, death, and darkness, and he is now bringing us into his presence for good and forever. But we're not there yet. We're in tension between where we started and where we're going. And that brings me to the last one. Your past goes further back than your birth. Your present is as a citizen called out of a foreign country to dwell with God. But your future, like Abraham, is received by faith. You see, you see, you see more clearly. You see more clearly than Abraham, yet not fully. You see that God had promised Abraham that a chosen seed has come to fully realize the promises of God given at Abraham. You've, you know who that chosen seed is. You know that long, 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 further, further, further into the story of the Bible, that Abraham's chosen offspring, son of David, son of Abraham, is going to be who? The son of God, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. But like Abraham, you live in the tension between looking back at the faithfulness of God on display and looking forward to the day when the world is brought into complete alignment with the purposes and the presence and the power of God. You see, you're like Abraham. You're looking back at where God has uh, brought you out of, and you're looking forward to where God is taking you. You know, a lot of times when we talk about faith, we talk almost only about looking back, looking back on what God has done in Jesus. But faith is not just looking back to what God has done in Jesus. It's also looking forward to what God has yet to do, but will most certainly do in Jesus Christ, the chosen offspring of Abraham. So here's your big takeaway in this section. The call of Abraham is a paradigm for our story. We, like Abraham, are called out of a pagan past and into a present among God's people to live in his presence and to bless the nations by living out his purposes on display in the world. Okay, that's your takeaway. The call of Abraham is a paradigm for our story, called out of a pagan past into a present among God's people to bless the nations. Okay, so this is the end of part one of this lecture on the covenant with Abraham. Um, the next part will cover what that covenant is. We will define covenant. I'll give you a definition of covenant, give you a broad and a narrow definition, and we'll look at Genesis 15 to look specifically at the covenant with Abraham. And so I'm going to stop sharing my screen. There it is. And um, I will, you can catch back up, you can listen to the audio or watch the video of the next part. Um, and uh, make sure that you start your drama of scripture reading and make sure.